Hey, thanks for checking out this message from LifeGate Church. We hope that God uses this message to encourage you and to help you live in the freedom and purpose that Jesus has for your life. As Fari said, my name's Alex and I, it's my absolute pleasure to be the service pastor of our Preston's campus, along with my wife Laura and our two-year-old son Isaiah. Well, he doesn't do much pastoring, he kind of just rolls around on the ground, but no, he's, he's great. And of course, to those online joining us today, welcome. I believe that God has something big to say through me this morning, and, and interestingly, um, Mel and Christy both touched on a similar theme, so I know, God, I love it when God does that. So we, we do have a lot to go through, so um, we'll be skipping some, some bits, but I will make sure to include all the juicy parts. Because we're going to be looking at the life of Joseph, and his life spans 13 chapters of the Bible. So, yeah, that's why we can't read all of it. So we're going to dive right in. Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them, about his brothers. Now, Israel, I'm just going to pause there. The name Jacob means deceiver. And just prior to what we're reading here, God was talking to Jacob. And he said to Jacob, I'm no longer going to call you Jacob. I'm giving you a new name, Israel. Because when God gets involved, he gives you a new name. He gives you a new identity. He gives you new passions, new desires, new values. He gives you new purpose. When God gets involved, you're no, no longer bound by the names that people used to call you. You're no, no, no longer limited by the labels that people give you. When God gets involved, everything changes. God says to Jacob, you're no longer Jacob. I'm going to call you Israel. I'm going to turn you from one man into a nation. Kings will be among your descendants. And so this is where the, all the name. All the people that we know to be Israelites, this is where they came from, Jacob or Israel. So I'll continue. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Now we're going to skip ahead to the second half of verse 17 where Jacob has sent Joseph to go check on his brothers who were out with the sheep. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, or in other words, a pit in the ground, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, that's Joseph's oldest brother, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Do not... Don't shed any blood. Throw him into this cistern here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. 
So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the ornate robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. The cistern was empty. There was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, evidently attacking your brother and throwing him in a pit to die builds up quite an appetite. (laughs) They looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver, which wasn't much money, to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. Skipping ahead to verse 31. Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornate robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. I used to read over all this pretty quickly, but when you stop to think about what's actually happening here, it's terrible. Joseph's brothers are right up there as the worst brothers in history. Skip now to chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Do you want to see what Joseph looked like? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think? Do I match the description? Yeah. Yes, I got one yes. Thank you. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. That's what she sounded like. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Now to verse 16. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. Then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to make sport of me. In other words, she's lying, saying that Joseph was trying to have his way with her. Now, I'm going to summarize the next few chapters, and I'll do my best to still capture all of the excitement that's still going on. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. One day, 
Joseph was strolling through the streets of Egypt. Just kidding. Joseph was in prison, remember? Are you paying attention, Christy? Yeah. Okay, one day Joseph was in prison, and he noticed two of his prison buddies were looking a bit sad. Now, you'd think that anyone in prison would look sad, but obviously Joseph had a good eye for this kind of thing. So these, these two prisoners were sad, but it turns out that they were also the cupbearer and baker of the pharaoh. These days we still have bakers, so we know what bakers do, but we don't have cupbearers. So let me just explain to you what cupbearers did. Cupbearers were high-ranking officials in charge of serving the king. It was their responsibility to serve the wine to the royal table. Since kings were concerned about enemies poisoning them, the cupbearer had to guard the king's cup very carefully and would sometimes taste the drink before serving it to ensure that it was safe. Due to these responsibilities, someone could only become a cupbearer if they were considered incredibly trustworthy and loyal. For this reason, a cupbearer had a great deal of influence over the king or the pharaoh. So Joseph asked the cupbearer and the baker why they looked so sad. And they said, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. Joseph replied, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. Joseph then interprets their dreams. To the cupbearer, he says, within three days, the Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And that's exactly what happened. His interpretation of the baker's dream was this. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head, not lift up your head, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. And that's exactly what happened. My two-year-old son Isaiah has at least three books that cover the life of Joseph, and all of them only include the interpretation of the cupbearer's dream, not the baker's dream. I think it's probably for good reason. Now, after Joseph had explained the meaning of the cupbearer's dream, he also said to the cupbearer, once you've got your old job back, please talk to Pharaoh for me and get me out of this prison. Because Joseph was aware that cupbearers held much influence over the Pharaoh. I'm sure Joseph was, was excited to finally be getting out of prison because he's just helped the cupbearer, and the cupbearer's going to go have a chat with Pharaoh, put in a good word for him, and he'd be free. But unfortunately, that did not happen, because the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. I've always thought the cupbearer was pretty horrible for forgetting about Joseph, until I realized I'd probably do the same thing. The reason is, when Laura asked me to to take out the rubbish, take out the bins. I'll say, yeah, sure, of course, fully intending on doing it. But three seconds later, the thoughts come in and then gone. And so she often has to send me a little gentle reminder. Or if she asks me to duck down to the supermarket and grab, grab a bag of frozen peas and a box of tissues, I'll come back with the frozen peas, but no tissues. Though I, I might have a bag of chips because they were half price. Can anyone relate? Yeah, yeah good, good. <laughs> so I've concluded the cupbearer really wasn't such a bad guy after all. Two years after the cupbearer was reinstated to his position, which means that Joseph was in prison for a further two years, Pharaoh had a troubling dream that no one could interpret, which prompted the cupbearer to finally remember and tell Pharaoh about Joseph. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he said, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. 
but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. By the power of God, Joseph then explained that Pharaoh's dream meant that there was about to be seven years of abundant harvest in Egypt, followed by seven years of severe famine. And he mentioned that someone should be put in charge of storing up lots of grain during the seven years of abundance so that there's still food during the famine. Pharaoh agreed and put Joseph in charge of storing up the grain. And he actually made him second in charge of the whole land of Egypt and gave him a chariot such that people bowed down to him. Joseph was 30 years old by this time. Two years into the famine, the Bible takes us back over to Jacob, who's telling his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? And I'm picturing all, all the sons, as there's 11 of them at the time, I'm picturing them all just sitting around in a circle with one grain in the middle of them, and they're all looking at each other awkwardly, wondering who's going to get to eat that last one. Like when you're at a party and all the cake's gone except one piece. So you go over to get it, but you don't want to be that person that takes the last piece of cake. Well, you do want to be the last person to take the cake, but you don't want anyone to notice. So that's what I'm picturing here. And then Jacob comes along and goes, Oi, why do you just keep looking at each other? Go buy some grain from Egypt so we don't starve and die here. So Joseph's brothers went to Egypt to buy grain and found themselves in front of an Egyptian ruler. But they didn't realize that it was their brother, Joseph. After all, it's been 13 years since they last saw him. He wasn't a teenager anymore, and now he was dressed as an Egyptian ruler. Joseph pretended to be cruel to them. He made them sweat a little bit, but eventually revealed who he was. Joseph could tell that they were worried about what he might do to them, because he now had the power to have them jailed or beaten, flogged, even executed. He could do whatever he wanted to them. The Bible even says that the brothers were terrified at his presence. If you were in Joseph's shoes, what would you say to your brothers who had betrayed you in one of the worst ways possible? How about, now you will pay for what you did? Or, no grain for you. Maybe, bow down and be my slaves forever. How about, lick my sandals. Nah, I'm not saying this is how I would respond, but I'm, I'm sure I would be tempted to do these things. Joseph's response is much more holy. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save lives by a great deliverance. Joseph then sends for all of his father's family in Canaan, about 75 people in total, to come and live in, the, in a fertile land in Egypt. Now skipping ahead to our last few verses in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph's father Jacob has just died and we read, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. 
The brothers clearly haven't learnt that lying and deception are not good. When their message came to, Joseph, came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. So Joseph said to him, said to them, Good, make my sandals. No, he didn't say that. He said, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph recognized that God uses evil for good. And that's the main point of my message today. I know it took me a while to get there, but I wanted to give you the full context. God uses evil for good. I'm not saying God does evil. God does not approve of evil. But when evil happens, God can and does turn it around to fulfill his good and perfect purposes. God used the struggles, the pain, and the evil in Joseph's life for good. God used hatred, betrayal, lies to save probably hundreds of thousands of lives during the famine. In the same way, God wants to use your struggles. God wants to use your pain for good. Do you believe it? In the difficulties, in the struggles, in the pits of his life, Joseph remained faithful and honoring to God. We don't know exactly what Joseph was thinking when he was thrown into the pit by his brothers or sold into slavery or when he was falsely accused and then thrown into prison or then forgotten for another two years. But if we look at how he spoke and lived throughout all of this hardship and mess, we can see that Joseph sought to honor God above all else and at all times. Look at some of the things he said. When tempted by Potiphar's wife, he says, he's not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness in sin against God? Or when speaking to the cupbearer and baker about their dreams, he says, do not interpretations belong to God? Or when Pharaoh was talking up Joseph's ability to interpret dreams, Joseph says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. We see that Joseph kept relying on God even when he didn't understand how these terrible situations could possibly be used for God's plans. Even though Joseph didn't understand why God was allowing him to suffer through all these pits in his life, it didn't mean that God wasn't right there with him, working things for Joseph's good and orchestrating his perfect plan to achieve immensely greater purposes than Joseph could ever imagine. And that brings me to my second point for today. Just because you don't understand it, it doesn't mean God's not in it. I'll say it again. Just because you don't understand it, it doesn't mean God's not in it. Based on the way that Joseph continued to live humbly, honestly, and always gave glory to God instead of taking it for himself, I think it's safe to assume that he continually believed that God sees everything. 
and that God fulfills his promises. And God deserves our honor even when life feels like you just crawled out of the pit and then you're sold into slavery. Sometimes life feels like you've just overcome one hurdle only to run into another hurdle. I sometimes like to, to chill out and watch videos online. It often um, goes to some kind of extreme sports like jumping out of planes or jumping off buildings or snowboarders jumping off mountain cliffs. Lots of jumping. Um, a cat video is always good for a laugh. But uh, the other day, I came across a hurdling video. Has anyone done hurdling before? <laughs> it actually looks really difficult because not only do you need to sprint 100 meters or so and, and try to beat all these other people, but every nine meters or something like that, you've got to jump a fairly tall height. And it doesn't look very comfortable when you, when you don't jump high enough because there's a lot of tumbling and falling. <laughs> I'm going to show you a video of a guy who found a genius way to overcome hurdles. Take a look. Watch the guy in the red circle. Did you see, he even had a little celebration at the end there. Do you feel like your life is one long hurdle race at the moment? If you're online joining us today, if you feel like your life is one long hurdle race, then, then write, I'm hurdling, in the chat. Or maybe, maybe you feel like your life is in a pit right now. Are you stuck in a pit of betrayal like Joseph was? Maybe someone you trusted has betrayed you. Or maybe you feel like your body is betraying you with one problem after another. Or do you feel like God has betrayed you? Because you did the best you could, and even still, that relationship failed. Or that friend still turned their back on God. And you can't understand why God allowed that to happen. Just because you don't understand it, it doesn't mean God's not in it. In the portion of Joseph's life that we've looked at today, he's had to jump many hurdles. But God used every single hurdle to fulfill his awesome plan. Let me show you what I mean. If Joseph's family wasn't messed up, his brothers would not have sold him as a slave. And he would never have gone to Egypt. If Joseph hadn't gone to Egypt, he never would have been sold to Potiphar. And Potiphar's wife never would have falsely accused him and had him thrown in jail. If Joseph hadn't been put into that specific jail at that specific time, he never would have met the cupbearer and baker of Pharaoh. If he never met the cupbearer and baker, he would never have interpreted their dreams. And so he would never have been given the opportunity to interpret Pharaoh's dream. If he had never interpreted Pharaoh's dream, he never would have been appointed to store up all that grain. And no one would have had enough food to feed all of Egypt plus all the surrounding nations for seven years of famine. And so if Joseph had not stored all that grain for the famine, his brothers and his family would have died of starvation. 
And if Joseph's brothers had died in the famine, then his brother Judah's family would have ended there. But do we know someone very important who came from the family line of Judah? Jesus. Has anyone heard of Jesus referred to as the Lion of Judah? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who died on a cross and was raised back to life, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. He was born through the family line of Judah. If Jesus never came, then we would all still be spiritually dead in our sins and slaves to our selfish nature. Jesus is the only thing, the only one, that could ever take away the penalty that we deserve for our own sin, for our own wrongdoing against God. And so if Jesus never came, all of humanity would be destined for hell, an eternity of absence of God's love. Therefore, every pit in Joseph's life, every trial, every struggle, every deception, every betrayal, every disappointment, every evil was used by God to fulfill his incredible and miraculous plan to save all of humanity from eternal pain and torment. God uses evil after evil for good. And the good far outweighed the evil that was done to Joseph. Because after being promoted by Pharaoh, Joseph lived 80 more years in blessing and prosperity and peace. At one point, Joseph even said, God has made me forget all my hardship. You might be sitting here or watching online and wishing that you also had the sudden and overnight success that Joseph had. But you'd be wishing for something that didn't happen because Joseph's success was not sudden. It was 13 years in the making, from when he was 17 to 30. In the 13 years of testing, in the trials, in the struggles, in the waiting, in the pain, in the unknown, in moments where I'm sure many of us would have been questioning whether God had forgotten us, in those times, that's when God was strengthening Joseph's faith. That's when God was growing Joseph's character. That's when God was preparing Joseph's heart for the position that God had for him. Even though Joseph didn't understand why there were so many pits in his life, he knew that just because you don't understand it, it doesn't mean God's not in it. How would your life look different if you chose to live like Joseph? If you start living like Joseph, maybe you'll stop trying to avoid every hurdle in your life. And instead, you'll start jumping because you know that hurdles, jumping hurdles builds your perseverance, it builds your character, it builds your maturity, just like it says in the book of James in chapter 1. Maybe your relationships will change from being about how you can impress others and make them bow down to you to being about how you can serve others, how you can love and support others, how you can forgive especially those who have wronged you. Maybe you'll go from complaining about the pits to praising him in the pit because of the good that you know he's going to do and because of the good that God's already doing in you, building your character and making you more like Jesus. Choose to live like Joseph today. Choose to believe in his promises. Choose to trust that his plans are far greater and more complex than you could ever understand. Praise him in the pit because he promises to never leave you nor forsake you. 
And just because you don't understand it, it doesn't mean that God's not in it. And if God's in it, he'll use your disappointments. He'll use your pain. He'll use your mistakes. And he'll even use evil for good. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you that there is no evil that can stand in your way. Lord, we thank you that whether things are good or bad, that you are still there. You are always there with us, strengthening us, giving us exactly what we need. And God, we thank you that, that evil isn't, isn't even a hindrance to you, but you can actually use that to fulfill your good and perfect plans. God, we pray that you'd remind us that that no matter what comes our way, no matter what we've done, no matter what is done to us, no matter what is happening in our bodies or in our relationships, God, we thank you that we can always trust in you, that you, that you will always turn things for our good, as it says in Romans 8, 28, that you work all things for the good of those who love you. So God, we thank you that we can stand firm on your promises because you fulfill your promises. Your word is always true. And so God, help us to not not be trying to avoid the hurdles, trying to avoid the struggles in our life, but to, to tackle them head on, knowing that you give us exactly what we need. And, and in, in going through those pits and those hurdles, you strengthen us, you build us up, you make us more like Jesus. So God, we pray that you would use us for your glory. And in everything that we do, especially the way that we handle our pits and our, and our trials and our hurdles in life, Especially in those times, God, help us to cling to you and represent Jesus to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Alex, for that. I love that. I love that picture of the, uh, the race. For anyone who knows the last year and a half of my life, that's been me. Like 150%. And I'm here standing today to tell you that if you allow God to do, just like Alex said, if you allow him to do that hurdling race with you, at the end of it, even if you have knocked down every single thing, you can still have that triumph of joy. He had joy. He literally smashed everything as he went and gave it a go and had joy. Because, and we can do that. I'm here to stand and say to you, regardless, if you, if you allow God to sit with you in where you are right now, and you can have that joy regardless of how many hurdles you have knocked over. Let's stand together and sing Can't Go Back to the Beginning. Can't go back to the beginning Can't control Can't control what tomorrow will bring Is a place where you promise to be. Hold on to that church today. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Cause all I all you are will you meet me here again as we walk through the valley hold on to that God is with you in this middle
the valley Let your love rise above every fear Like the sunshine in the battles In my weakness your glory appears Praise God for that, yes? I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is you, God. Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? I'm not enough. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me forsaken. Hold on to that today, church. Let's sing together. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord, He's right now in this place, standing right here where you are. You don't need to search. You don't need to look. You don't need to say, God, are you here? Right now, He's here. Let's sing out to Him. Not for a minute were we ever forsaken. team, uh, the prayer team to come up. If you need prayer today, if you want God to sit with you, if you want to remember that you are not enough, if you want those shackles of lies broken, saying you're not enough, then come forward and get prayer. If you want to talk to God about your joy, about your trauma, about anything, come up to the prayer team 
and say, God, I'm not enough. Come to me today. And Lord, you are. Will you meet me here again? I'm not enough. what you want me to be. Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me? Meet us here today, God. Meet us here in your place. Meet us here. We're not enough without you. Meet us here. Come Holy Spirit and meet us. Come Holy Spirit and break the chains that are holding people back. Come Holy Spirit and break the lies that are speaking to people saying you're not enough, that this evil, this thing that's gone in our life defines who you are. Come forward to get prayer if you need God to talk to you today. Otherwise, be dismissed and live in freedom, purpose and joy. Thanks so much for checking out this message. LifeGate Church has people meeting in person and online in many different locations and we'd love to help you get connected. My name's Andrew and I lead our online team here at LifeGate Church and it's our job to do exactly that. We'd love to help you find community, get support and prayer and take your next step. So why don't you connect with us and take your next step at lifegate.org.au and click the next step button.